Stefan Tiedorf here, your host of the Golf Friends podcast and one half of the Golf Friends empire is what I'm going to call it. I think if you just manifest it, it will happen. Uh, this week, we sit down with Brad Fritch on the Golf Friends podcast. Brad is a longtime Canadian professional golfer, former Corn Ferry Tour player, former Corn Ferry Tour winner, and uh, played a few years on the PGA Tour. thought it was a great time as we turn the year around to talk with Brad, everything about the professional game. I've always appreciated Brad's opinion on anything professional golf. Brad was always that play better guy well before anybody else was and always said golf's a true meritocracy. And we kind of talk about that because that's not necessarily the case anymore. And I needed to get Brad's opinion on that. But I also wanted to hear more about him starting his own business, Red Rooster Golf, a golf glove company where every glove that is sold, they give a glove away to a a kid and and actually trying to grow the game. So Brad is uh, somebody that's loved the game. His uh, relationship with the game is obviously changing. And we talk about, you know, five years away from being on the, uh, on the champions tour isn't that far away, but it's also a lifetime away. So Brad's a true golf friend. He's a golf nut. We talk a little bit of hockey as well here. Go Leafs go. But, uh, Without further ado, why don't we go and chat with Brad? So, Brad Fritch, everybody. How are you doing, Brad? It's been a while. It has been a while. Uh, thanks for the for the podcast request. Yeah, you were on our, my previous podcast a bunch, um, and it's all you're always always good for a good quote, but just a good conversation. Um, how how how's your golf game right now? Like it's like, are you even golfing? Are you a bit? Here's a better question. I got to reword it. When someone asks you, meets you and says, Brad Fritch, what do you like, you know, the old, what do you do for a living? Do you, do you run a golf glove company or are you a professional golfer still? So if someone says, Hey, he's a pro golfer. And I would say, well, I'm kind of an ex pro golfer, not non-competitive. My son the other day replied to my daughter. I think she said, yeah, but you're a, a pro golfer. And my son goes, Hannah, he's not competitive anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and as, he's just he's repeating what I had told him at yeah. some point, you know, he'd ask like, Hey, how come you're not away anymore playing tournaments? And, uh, you know, would I be competitive if I, if I tried, you know, 24 seven, you know, six hour range sessions, maybe, but that's not, uh, anything I have the bandwidth for anymore at this point, uh, mid forties trying to compete against guys who hit it 40 yards past me. And, you know, I've, I think I've done what I can at least until I'm 50. We'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, I usually say I'm an ex pro golfer and my handicaps plus 4.5 and, uh, and, and I run a glove company here in the United States. So yeah, um, that's kind of, it's a long conversation. It's not a, a two word answer. Let's just put it that way. Uh, totally fair. Like, so like what's a, what's a week looking like? Are you still, on the range every single day, every other day, like what, how, like, are you trying to keep sharp or is it week to week basically at this point? You've, you've caught me at a bad time, Stefan, because yesterday I had balls for the first time since November 12th. Wow. Okay. And, and the weather has been okay too. Yeah. That's the thing. No, you know, not great, but good I also haven't hit balls since November 12th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only 2000 miles South though. Of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, my game, you know, whenever I play, it's fine. That's what I, that's what I tell people. The game's fine. Like the last time I shot 
five under from one tee up, which is very fun, by the way, playing up one tee. I didn't used to do that at all. I used to, you know, go to the back one foot in the, in the back rough and, and play and, and see how hard I can make it. And, and now I appreciate the times where people say, no, just come up and play with us, you know, from the blues instead of the gold. It's like, yeah, that's a good, that's fun. Um, do more of that. I'm a, I'm a very member guest pro member type of player. And you'd be amazed how many guys there are uh, like me, you know, who do a lot of that during the year. Obviously you do other stuff, um, golf related. Um, but yeah, a lot of outings, a lot of, a lot of trips, wouldn't mind getting into that kind of like, Hey, let's take seven guys to Ireland and play for a week. That type of stuff. I've thought about that. Uh, we were chatting before, before this, uh, this recording about how, you know, I haven't quite found exactly what I want to do full time, but I imagine as the, as the years go on that this glove business will probably take up more and more of my time. Um, I would like to play more. I just don't have the time. Yeah. And, uh, We'll talk about that, uh, being an entrepreneur, moving into that world versus that. But if, if you're going to start a going and traveling business and you get to play golf on it, um, let me know because uh, I'm in. I'm, I am I don't have a lot of money, but I have a couple dollars to uh, invest. So I'm into this business idea. Sounds like a great idea. Um, how did the range session go? Let's go uh, it, it, it was very brief. You know, I, the guy who we were taking some photos of new products and and I hit a couple and, you know, I made contact on the first one, which was, which was good because I've been doing, you know, little to no activity besides my son's hockey practice every Saturday. And we, I coach on Sunday for him, but um, yeah, not, not much activity on my body right now. So that was uh, made contact. It gradually got better. I kind of, was like riding a bike. I, I stopped at seven irons, um, but it was okay. Yeah. And, and you know, having enough conversations with people like you and, and other people who ask me, you know, Oh, you're playing golf. And I always say, no, not really. Uh, but in those conversations, I'll think to myself, yeah, this is kind of fun. Like not playing, this is fine. But then you get out and hit a few balls and it's like, Ooh, yeah, I remember it's fun because I'm pretty decent at it. And I could see myself going to the first tee making a few birdies. And then all of a sudden, you know, the juices start flowing again. You remember why you love it. Basically that's what happens. Yeah. But I think that's something that's always interested me about you is that you love the game. Clearly you don't, you don't stop playing professional, whether you chose to or not um, start a golf glove business because you just, because you thought there's a lot of money in it, right? You like, you, you clearly love the game, but it hasn't ever felt to me that it's your identity. Do you know what I mean? No, it it hasn't. At the same time, I'd, I'd get asked in pro-ams like, hey, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, eh. I, I found out pretty, pretty quickly having to answer that question. I don't have a lot of hobbies, honestly. Um, so I started to try to find some hobbies. I enjoy actually target shooting at the range. Like I own a couple of weapons, like a Southern redneck wood and uh, i enjoy going to the range and shooting so that's not like something i've taken up and and i enjoy it and it's kind of a, a good release with friends who also like to do it um but i've tried to find other things i really enjoy coaching hockey i've I haven't been on the ice in a long time up until about three years ago i think it had been about 12 years and 
I got on the ice with my son. He was six at the time. I did a few. Uh, they have this learn to play um, program where kids, you know, just starting out, they get their equipment for almost free, get on the ice. I helped out with that. Then he gets in uh, the house league for, you know, six-year-old, seven-year-old, just teaching kids how to play hockey. That was awesome. I love it. And I still love it. Like he's playing nine-year-old, you know, house league and it's still super fun. I love it. Love going to the seven o'clock practices. He doesn't, he doesn't love the uh, getting up that early in the morning, but uh, <laughs> so we have to get up extra early. So he takes about 20 minutes to actually wake up at, you know, five 30. I remember but, doing um, those as kids, the, the seven o'clock practice. I hated them too. Probably why I never, never made it other than a complete lack of skill, height, uh, talent, all of the above, but that's yeah. about, yeah, yeah. That was about my problem too. But, um, it's been a lot of fun getting back into hockey and here it's growing a lot. Um, obviously not as big as in Canada, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun just to teach kids the game and you, and you see the same kids on my son's team kind of year after year and you see how they progress a lot of fun that way too. So hockey is actually why I reached out to you. Um, because, um, I saw somebody on the PJ tour and they're the only person other than you I've seen do this. Uh, Taylor Pendrith has a Toronto Maple Leafs logo on his golf bag this year. I saw and that. I, and I th- yeah, I'm sure you hated it. Uh, and I saw that I, I thought maybe, maybe think of you. Cause like when you were on the PGA tour, you were rocking the Ottawa senators logo on, uh, on the bag. And yeah, it just made me think of you. It was like awesome that he's doing it. I don't know if, if, if uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs are sponsoring him, I kind of hope he's just doing it for the sake of loving our Maple Leafs, who I know you're not the biggest fan of. <laughs> not, not even close. <laughs> um, how, how is, uh, I mean, let's, let's talk about your senators, whatever, what happened here? I thought this was the, the, they won the off season and uh, it looks <clears> like <throat> they're the same team as, as last year to me, but that's just me. So, Yes, this was an education in how winning the offseason doesn't necessarily translate right away into winning the season. Yeah. Um, I've, I've done a little bit of sports radio work in Ottawa, and during the summer, it was right around their acquisition of Alex DeBrinkett and Claude Giroux. And I was getting a little excited, and I got a little bit over my skis too far. And, uh, and I said, if they can get that top four defenseman, then I think they can be top four in the East. Now they haven't gotten that guy yet, so I the jury's still out in my opinion on on that prediction. But uh, yeah, it's not been as good as I thought it would be. But if if you paid attention to the Senators over the last couple of years, they're they're in pretty much every game. Now we're coming off a couple of pretty awful losses over the last five games, but other than those two games they've they're super competitive now like one goal losses a lot of them you know there's stuff that i see that is definite improvement over the last couple years their top six is super high end of course there's stuff that has gone wrong with injuries but i i do think they're they're on track but you're right it's i don't think you can ever replace guys having played with, with each other for two three four years you know you bring a couple guys in and everyone thought you know auto chemistry oh this guy scored 40 goals the last two years he's gonna score 40 again exactly (laughs) like you know notwithstanding who he played with in chicago which was patrick kane even though he's playing with great players it's just you know it's just different there's a lot of stuff that you have to navigate 
Ottawa's um, not Chicago either. I don't think people <laughs> realize that. Like they, right. Ottawa has become a better city, but Chicago is one of the best cities in, in the states for for a lot of sports uh, fans. I would say. Yeah, I, I've actually been to United Center, and it is an awesome atmosphere. It's also massive. It's one of the biggest probably the biggest rink I've ever been in, in terms of the NHL. Like it's, it's gotten added. I think they have capacity for 21,000, which it, it's huge. And, you know, even if, even though it's only, I don't know, 10 to 15% bigger or more fans, it, it has that kind of atmosphere of being, being way bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought it'd be a better season, but I, I'm a very optimistic sense fan. I, I do think, it'll get better as the season rolls on. And uh, I don't know. It's a weird time of year because they could be buyers. They could be sellers. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say, but I do think they've just been not as good as I thought, but they've also been more competitive every single game than the last couple of years. And in the end, to me, it's entertainment. You know, I don't go in with an expectation being a Dallas Cowboys fan expectations are killers so um as i've gotten older i've gotten more reasonable and to me i'm definitely not tuning out like the last couple of years you know tuning out earlier or missing a game i don't miss any games this year because they're more entertaining it's more fun to watch and there's a better chance that they're going to win so yeah it's it's progress um it's getting there but they did a total rebuild and that's a hard thing to it's a hard thing to be patient with because it's been a while uh but i i think it'll be fine it's just people wanted it to be fine this year and it was going to be tough but i think any realistic scenario was hey maybe there'll be maybe there'll be a bubble playoff team they're not on the bubble right now a couple wins in a row they might be yeah you know anything can happen yeah, it's hard and I mean, because like Bedard, like that feeling of wanting Bedard and like the sure. sell and go for him, but no, know, I get it, yeah. I get it, and it's funny because I compare and contrast the Carolina Hurricanes a lot because I live down here, I go to a mm-hmm. lot of their games, and similar if I just market, ma- right, similar market, yeah, and if I I just kind of go down the roster of each team, it's funny because the Canes don't have near as high end talent. But as they go third line, fourth line, especially their top 4D, it's like stud, stud, stud. Even on the third line, Jordan Stahl is a stud. You know, Slavin and Burns, top pair, like ooh, hard to beat. You know, it, it's just they're built differently. Yeah. And you, you can tell why the Canes are are where they are. Is uh, is Ottawa still still home? Like, does it still feel like home when you get back there, though? Um, that's a great question because especially the last couple of years, I haven't been a lot. Right. I've, I've done a few pop in and out for various things. Um, it still feels like home because the rest of my family is there, but, uh, you know, this is, I've been down in Raleigh area for 17 years on a permanent basis. So, you know, I, I consider this home, my kids, I don't want to say they barely know Ottawa, but they, you know, we've, they've only been there a couple of times. So it's hard for me to, to, to call it home. I, I, I grew up there. I'd, I'd always call it my hometown, but it's just a little bit different because, you know, my, we have, you know, pretty significant roots here now. 
Um, but we've almost spent the same amount of time away, right? Like not equal, but you're getting, you're getting close. <laughs> well, if, you know, if we delve into the numbers, I, I left, <laughs> in, I, I left in 96. So I was 19 or 18 years old and went to Campbell university, which is close to where I live right now. And I'd spend, you know, after I graduated, I spent half the year here and half the year in Ottawa, basically summers playing the Canadian tour for six years and then winters down here. So if you had to break it down, I bet you it's almost exactly 50%. And so, yeah, it's, you know, just, it's how my life and career progress. So it's just one of those things, like, I'm not going to try to make an argument either way. It's just Ottawa's where I grew up. I love it. I'll never leave the senators. Um, but uh, we love it here and it's a great place to raise a family. Very similar town, like Raleigh and Ottawa, very similar. Even the, you know, I live in a town called Holly Springs and you could call it the bar haven of <laughs> bar, bar haven in a good way. Um, <laughs> it's I know better. there's some, I, I know there's some pejoratives out there about bar haven, but um, it, it's kind of like that. It's, it's kind of a similar type layout and the downtowns are kind of small. Uh, both of them are. And yeah, they're, they're just very similar places. So we're, we're glad we're here and it's been a really good uh, place to raise a family. I've, I always appreciate talking golf with you too, in the sense of um, you've, you've had this quote and it was well before I even met you. You said, I remember you saying um, golf's the perfect meritocracy. Um, that changed since the last time you and I've talked that there is a different option here with live. And I, I, I've, yep. I, I, you've had tweets about it, but you know what, how, what are your thoughts now? Like they're coming up on their new season and everything, the product is what the product is, but like being a, uh, a professional golfer that never had that option when, and I don't, I'm not saying you wouldn't have taken that option or you pref preferred to earn it, but based on how you always talked about it, like, I think you, you always appreciate that about golf. So like, what are your thoughts on, on the state of the professional game? Not just live in general, but overall. Yeah, I had a, a tough time articulating my thoughts about it last year. Uh, in various radio spots, both here in Raleigh and then, you know, when I did some co-hosting in Ottawa, because it's just kind of an uncomfortable subject because the, the, the type of, the way that the game changed with being prepaid before a tournament starts and then they're not even being a cut, you know, they had, you had show up money and, and guaranteed contracts for a couple of years to play that tour. And, and on top of that, you've got, guaranteed checks it's just something i'm super unfamiliar with i think i had one i had one guaranteed two guaranteed checks in my life we had a, a tour championship on the web.com tour and that, i think that was the last year we actually had the tour championship and then i played in the world cup one year and it was a guaranteed you know let's say 12 or 15 grand for last place so those were the two events where i i flew there knowing i was making money which is it's always a, a nice feeling to have. And it, it was the honestly, two times you flew first class. <laughs> uh, no, not to Australia. God, that, that probably would have been 15 grand on its own. <laughs> uh, that's where the world cup was, but um, it, it's very different. You know, it's how it's how tier one of the PGA tour operates because they have, um, you know, the FedEx cup playoffs when you get there, that's a, a few of those events are guaranteed. You've got the world golf championships. Those are guaranteed. The, the tournament champions at the beginning of the year. It's just something that I've never had the privilege of being a part of. 
but again, that's meritocracy right there, right? Like those guys who are in those events earned it. And a, not all the players, but some of the players that, that went to live, uh, you know, a couple guys came out of college. Like where's the earning in that sense? You know, they're great college players. Good for you. I played with a lot of college players who were way better than me and they never made it to the PGA tour. It's just a different game. You can't guarantee anything. So it's kind of, it's just a, a golf's in a weird state. I think it'll be better this year than last year, just because it, live tour has had a, had time to evolve. And I think it's going to get less, not less media attention, less negative attention. It is what it is. Like you said, it exists. We know it does. And if people want to watch it, go for it. I just think that right now there's not a huge audience for it. It seems sometimes it's almost more political than anything, which is an odd, you know, everything is politics these days. Right. But for golf to take that stance is very odd. Uh, For me, what it's done is, is both of them, both products feel watered down, right? Like the PGA tour, when you watch, it feels watered down. Um, Live feels watered down. Like there's some names on both tours that you would never have heard of. Um, Like, I just don't like, it feels like they're just eating each other and both of them are going to lose or both of them aren't going to gain. I don't, it's just a weird spot where I, I don't, right now it feels like the, the most fans are like, I, I'll watch five year, five tournaments of the year, right? Like, you know, give me the majors, maybe give me the players. And have seen a lot of that, seen a yeah. lot of comments that, that are like that. And it's, it's true. It is watered down. It can't help but be because, you know, the PGA tour is not getting, DJ and Kepka and DeChambeau, a lot of guys. And it's, it's, it's too bad that it's that way, but you've seen Saudi Arabia try to insert themselves. Like, gosh, my son watches WWE and it, there were reports <laughs> that they were going to buy that. I mean, they're just trying to insert themselves into the mainstream. So that's, this is what's happened. And uh, golf, I, I'd say for the, for the golf fan, it has suffered I think just the competitive nature of it has suffered because you're right. It has become watered down. We're not seeing best on best. We're seeing best against just slightly below, you know, it was always the question what separates, you know, the top 10 of the PGA tour from, you know, 100 to 125. And it's a very small, but you can always see it in the results. And it's going to be, it's going to separate a little bit. I think, I think you're going to see, guys at the top probably win a little bit more, not much, but a little bit more than they were before. Uh, But some guys are going to take the opportunity who might not have gotten the chance and they're going to insert themselves into the conversation of being, you know, top 50, top 30 players now. So it's going to be great for, it's great for everyone because everyone's making more money, right? Like live definitely forced the PGA tour to up the ante. They're, you know, they, they have these elevated events, uh, players are having more say, which I don't know if that's a great thing or not. One of the things I always, I I watch a lot of player interviews and, you know, some guys finished college, some guys didn't. And you're talking about negotiating multi-billion dollar contracts. And you've got a guy who has only played golf his whole life. How, how aware is he of all of the factors that go into it? Yeah, probably, probably not that much. Right. Like there, there are people who are paid 
a decent amount of money to think about those things 24 seven. We were paid to hit golf balls into the hole as fast as possible. You know, the, sometimes I think the players are getting a little bit over their skis in, in assuming that the PGA tour can do all of the things that the players want them to do and have no repercussions that most likely the players aren't going to be aware of. It's going to be internal and all the executives are going to be talking amongst each other saying, man, we have to cave because we don't want to lose player X. How are we going to do this? And the players aren't thinking about these things. That's why on the policy board, there's executives from like AT&T and all, you know, companies who've had to navigate complicated things like this. Again, we hit golf balls. Yeah. For, for me, the, the biggest thing that I think live obviously done is improve not only the players, but like caddy lives um, for somebody that's done some caddying. Um, like if somebody offered me a bag on the live tour, I'll, I'll quit any job to go do that as a dream 14 weeks a year, guaranteed paychecks. That hasn't changed on the PGA tour though. Right. Other than the money, like nothing has really changed out there for those guys. Uh, it's a good question. I don't, I don't know what they offer on, nothing or, sometimes food oh well no, like no. minor oh i'm a live, live, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't know exactly what happens out there um yeah i get. i guess if you're a caddy and you were offered a bag sure um i've always said i don't know what i would do if they offered and not that they would because i wasn't in the right you know it didn't line up kind of at my the peak of my powers so to speak yeah. Um, but I don't know what I would have done. Honestly, I'm a pretty loyal guy. Um, I, I see a lot of bitch sessions about the PGA tour and I just can't, I can't bring myself to agree with a lot of what people say about it. Players. I mean, because mm-hmm. it afforded me the chance to go make a ton of money, uh, playing a game and it was the best place in the world at the time to do so. Like I, it was great. And I, I have nothing, nothing bad to say about it. It's very, it's very odd for me to listen to guys who were, I'll call them middling players, but that's a respectful term. Like they weren't famous guys. They weren't, you know, guys who were going to win two or three times a year. Maybe they won twice in 13 years and were at an outing. And I hear them say something bad about the PGA tour. And I'm like, dude, you have a full pension. You made you know, let's say 14 million in your career. You're at this outing when you wouldn't be without it. Yeah. It's like, man, what exactly do you want? I don't, I don't know. It, it, it's confusing to me sometimes. I'm very, the the word I use is gratitude. Like I'm, it's all that I worked for to get there. I got there. Didn't work out great for me when I went out there, but I still had a couple decent years. I had a bunch of tournaments where I played well. I had a ton of fun doing it. And you know, that those few times where I got the text after the tournament and there's a six figure, you know, payout on my phone, like, Hey, you made this much. I just laughed the first time I laughed out loud when I was driving to the airport, like, Oh my God, this is amazing. This is the best thing in the world. Um, I guess as time goes on for guys and that becomes a common thing, different things become important, you know, other things that becomes normal. And all of a sudden, you know, you kind of get spoiled and your, your views on things change. And that I didn't get to that point because I wasn't out there long enough and didn't play well enough, but gosh, sometimes I listen to the, I'll put it in air quotes, complaints. And (laughs) I'm thinking, man, you don't, 
you don't know. I mean, do you forget what you went through on mini tours if you played them? Um, yeah, I, but you're right. Liv has, Liv has provided the, the requirement for the PGA tour to get better. And whether that happens for the caddies or not, it's always been a, that's always been an adversarial relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's unfortunate. It's that way. Um, Hey, look at the LPGA this week. Uh, whenever yeah. I don't know when this comes out, the players didn't have lockers. Right? Yeah, they could like yes. it's it's weird because you know they're at what Lake Nona, right? Yeah. And and knowing I don't know a lot about Lake Nona, but I can almost guarantee that that's a a club or membership problem. Oh yeah. It's like like we'll give up X, but we're not giving up our lockers for the week, like that type of thing. And there's I'm not taking just, my shampoo out of my locker. Right, right. It's it's very the things, and especially you know, LPJ tour. I can see it happening. It always happened on the web.com tour. They talk about scheduling and how you know we'd have to go from Kansas City to Portland, Maine, back to Omaha, Nebraska. Like that stinks, right? That's a mm-hmm. horrible schedule. And a couple of times I'd ask the guy who was in charge of the schedule, and I'd say, How can we? Like, how do you make that schedule? And he goes, well, the tournament in Omaha had a wedding the previous two weeks booked on Saturday and Sunday. And the wedding part, it had been booked, you know, a year in advance and they wouldn't change it. So we wouldn't have the clubhouse for, you know, whatever Saturday, Sunday. And one of the requirements for, you know, the players is having complete access to the clubhouse. Like Mm. little things that nobody really thinks about, but if you actually put your mind to it, you would things would start to make sense. Yeah. The turn, the tournament in Lafayette, Louisiana on the web or the corn Ferry tour now always had to be the week of this festival in town. Like it was this food festival and it was amazing by the way, the cage Cajun food, but they always wanted it to coincide with the food festival. And the moment that the tournament couldn't make that date work, the tournament left town sponsor (laughs) like the sponsor wouldn't have it any other way and they pulled the sponsorship and so just these things where you have to match up 25 to 30 different corporate interests you know and it's all most things in the corporate world is leverage right yeah and the corn fairy tour has no leverage because the players aren't famous yet it's not that the sponsors are doing the tour a favor but everything has to work perfectly for the tournament to get a, a pretty good return to mm-hmm. make it worthwhile. So all these things have to match up together at the same time. And unfortunately I could see the same thing happening in women's golf too, which is everything has to line up perfectly, even though they're the top women players in the world, it just hasn't got to the point yet where they can make demands. Yeah. If that makes sense, because totally. they're, they're unfortunately going to be places who say, Oh, well then we just won't have the tournament and then it's, you're in a pickle, right? Like we'd, yeah. we'd, you'd much rather as a player have an event and be inconvenienced a couple of different ways than not have the event. So that's kind of something I learned being on the, the, the pack, the player advisory committee for the, the web.com tour at the time. It's like, these are seemingly trivial things that you don't think about that are, that can be hindrances to actually having a golf tournament and you'd think, man, that's really dumb. Surely we could work around it. Nope. No can do. (laughs) It has to to line up perfectly. And there's a lot of things that, uh, 
that have to go on for for it to happen. One of the things in pro golf I'm actually excited about, though, is that Netflix series that's coming out, traveling, watching what happened based on the PGA Tour last year. And some of those guys obviously ended up with Liv, with Brooks and, and Ian Poulter. What would Netflix have found if they followed Brad Fritch around in uh, 2013, 2014 out on the PGA Tour? What type of, what type of in, uh, entertainment would we have found back then? Other so, than but, going to these food festivals. <laughs> so, yeah, by that time, I had to, you know, it'd be so much better to follow mini tour golf. Yeah. Because you'd have characters who, number one, some of them are just, donating their money to the cause and they love to play golf or whatever, but they have no chance of doing well. Um, but at that point it's less of a business and more of a, you know, it's like minor league hockey, you yeah. know, you, you don't worry about the next day, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. So you're, you're out at night, you're doing your thing. Uh, but 2013, um, probably a lot of just honesty of how, how awesome it was to go to events that I'd obviously never played in, but watched on TV for years and years. Um, the very, uh, the very first event, my, my wife was, yeah, we we're in Hawaii. My wife was pregnant with our, our son. So our second child and she flew over, she was seven months pregnant. So that would, that would have been an interesting, uh, mm -hmm. uh, film on how uncomfortable she was flying, you know, six hours from LA to Honolulu. But, um, no, I mean, it would have, I don't know that you would have gotten the best controversial content, but I, I just more of the eyes wide open. This is awesome. You know, my fourth, third or fourth event was Tory Pines and I played really well. And, and looking at it here, you played well that week in uh, Hawaii too. <laughs> yeah, not bad. I had a good start. Um, <laughs> uh, I was actually pretty surprised about how comfortable I was that first event. Now I'd played Canadian opens before I played in one U S open before that, but I really thought, okay, I'm a full-time member. I don't know how I'm going to handle this for the first few events. And I actually, you know, made the cut in Hawaii, made the cut in Palm Springs and then finished ninth in San Diego. So it was kind of a like, Whoa, this is, this could really be a thing. Um, at the end of the day, it's just, it's just golf. Mostly it's about how you handle yourself and your emotions mm -hmm. uh, to get the best out of, out of your game. But, uh, yeah, mostly it was trying not to do too much every week because you feel like you have to do a little bit more because you're on the PGA tour and my whole, my whole pro career up until that point was you practice during your off weeks, what you bring to the event, that's what you have. You're not going to find something magically, you know, you have a routine that you go through and practice rounds and how you warm up and all that. But once you're at the, at the tournament site, it's like, there's no magic potion. It's, it's what you've worked on now, just let the athlete come out. Um, once you get to the PGA tour, my, my first year was a little bit of having to remind myself every time, you know, don't do that. Don't, don't find that extra thing. And early on, I wasn't searching for anything and I played really well. And then kind of the dog days of summer got me a little bit and and I, I did start searching. I spent a lot of time on the range and I've never been that guy. So it was kind of, you know, I caught myself near the end of the year saying, what you're doing is very foreign to you. You shouldn't be doing that. Uh, yeah, but it takes a while. You're watching the other guys that are at the top of the game doing their thing, but it's like, 
that's how they got to the top of the game. You getting top of the game could have been a whole other. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Everyone's different. Everyone's different. Like I, I played my first year um, and it was the highest I ever finished in the FedEx cup 128. And at the end of the year, I got a, a report unsolicited from someone about what I should have been doing to, to compete better. Um, and it wasn't anything negative. It was, Hey, statistically, um, this is what you should have been doing. And it was mostly you hit clubs too short off the tee. You have to hit driver more. Um, and I'm thinking, well, every event that I play my best in, except for Torrey Pines is one where I have, I don't want to say laid up off the tee, but hit shorter clubs, hit the spots. You know, my, the attitude about my game was always, I'm a better iron player than everybody Hmm. in my, in my head, probably not statistically, but in my head. Mm -hmm. So if I need to out eight iron you and you have a wedge, I can do that all day. So I wanted to be comfortable off the tee instead of thinking, Ooh, I have to hit driver to get down there. And at that time I wasn't a great driver of the ball. I was okay. But under the gun, under the most pressure, I turned into a poor driver of the ball. So I thought, let me just get in the fairway. And this is the time where they started figuring out getting it in the fairway is actually not that important. It's about getting it as close to the green as possible. I just didn't feel like my game lined up for that. And if you don't believe that, if you don't think you're on the tee, like you're doing the right thing for you, you're you've got no chance. So I just wanted to have a chance in my mind first. So after, after my first year, I got that, um, advice from someone and I was like, I, I can't, I can't do that. Did it play so, a part in your head? Like, cause the, if any, like, and I know we've probably talked about this on previous podcasts, I'm sure you talked about it many times, but the year to year difference and just like consistency and results one year, in 2013 to 2014, where it was clearly feast or famine. I think there's, you know, where maybe it was injuries, something along those lines, but did that play a part in your mind looking back on it, even though you were like, I still got to do my thing. Uh, I, I got in fewer events in 2014, 2013 was the first year or sorry, the last year of the non wraparound season. It was Hawaii mm-hmm. to, uh, the Wyndham, I think yeah. was the final tournament. Um, and then we started back right away in the fall. It was the first year of the, of the wraparound season. And I actually got hurt in the first event. I think I, it was at what's now called the Fortinet championship. Back then the fries.com open. It was the, it might've been the Safeway. It's gone through a few iterations, <laughs> but, uh, it was the year before it went to Silverado actually. So it wasn't at Silverado. All right. And, and I played a horrible first round, putted awful. I think, I, I don't know the statistics, but I remember my second round strokes gain putting was like plus seven. It was amazing. I made like four putts from outside 40 feet. It was amazing. And in the locker room afterwards, I hurt myself. I can't remember how, I think I was getting some physiotherapy and the guy just did something that did not go well. Yeah. And, uh, and unfortunately I couldn't play and I couldn't play the next event and the next event, the next event I played was actually the world cup. And that obviously didn't count for, um, any points or anything. So I played, I think I played one event in the fall and I would have played four or five. So it's kind of behind the eight ball that way. I didn't get in a few events early in the, um, in the winter. I just didn't play as many events. I think I played 18 
and they did have four, three top tens, four top twelve, something like that. They all yeah. came near the they all came near the end of the year, which was kind of a typical thing for me. Back, <laughs> back, back against the wall, I always played fairly well, um, but that was that was a, a funny year. Uh, I think your question was going to be, did I do anything different? No, I didn't, because again, the events that I played the best, which were um, Greensboro, Canadian Open, John Deere, I could think of the holes in my head and say I played well because I played to spots on on the par fours and I laid up on par fives and I just trusted my iron game. Um, you know, there not every stat is for everyone. That was kind of my my opinion on the whole thing. And I've always been resistant to golf technology and, and statistics like that. I don't know if I would have been better served doing what that gentleman suggested I do. Um, but we'll never know. I did become a great driver of the golf ball though. in like 2018, 19, 20, I never drove it better. So that, that was exciting <laughs> at the time it's... though. At the time I was, I, I really was wild. Like driver three wood. I was, I was struggling back then. I got no tips here. I'm, I don't, I can't, <laughs> I hit it. I carry it 240 and can't find a fair way to save my life. Um, but I think it's probably easier looking back going, Hey, I did it my way. It didn't work. Then if it didn't like, or it worked, like let's not like, let's not undersell the career you had on the PGA tour. Like you had a, a good career middling player as you described it. Right. Um, you know, good career on the corn Ferry tour. You, you probably go to every guy, graduating college right now and ask them that and 90% of them are signing up for your career in professional golf. Um, but what I was getting at was um, I think if, if you say in 2014 did the, the other way where it wasn't your way and came with the same results, like nothing changed, like the same money at the end of the year, you're probably, you look less fondly on that probably than you do now knowing you did it your way. Most likely. Yeah, I think you're right. I think um, there, there's something to be said for kind of sticking to your guns and having, I'll call it moderate success. Like I missed the 150 by half a point. Yeah, the 151 is, yeah, you've one, talked about it. It hurts. <laughs> it hurts. And then I got one medical start, actually went back to the same event, that Safeway event and missed the cut by one. So that that would have given me the extra, you know, half point in the the son of a gun of it all was that the tournament that I withdrew uh, that I got that extra start for, I think I was 12th after two rounds. I was <sighs> like 70, 74, 63 or something like that. And so I would have gotten that extra point, right? Like, yeah, you look back on it. It was unfortunate. It happened, but, um, Hey, that's life, yeah, right? Like, <laughs> like, like in the, in the end, I played three years on the PGA tour. If you would have told me in college, like, Hey, you're going to bank that would have been all over it. Like three years in college, I wasn't thinking about a professional golf career. I played better my senior year. I was decent. And that was when I first thought, yeah, maybe I'll give it a run. And and I did. And even the first couple of years of when I played mostly Canadian tour, I wasn't very good. So it was always, you know, the PGA tour was a pipe dream, but every once in a while I get these little like, Hey, I'm Monday for an event or, Hey, I qualified for the U S open. And so it kind of gave me this, this hope, like, oh, I can, I, I can make it, but it took a long time. I mean, it took me 12, 12 years to get to the PGA tour from when I first started pro golf. And, um, there were many times where 
just wasn't sure I was, I was good enough. And there were things that happened like meeting my instructor who I'll still call my instructor, but we don't really work together anymore just because I don't work on my game. Um, but you know, not meeting him would have been, I would have had no chance. Like I wouldn't have found my way there. That was back in 07, um, end of 07, early 08. And it took us a little bit, but, you know, breaking down my golf swing and rebuilding, it was a process. And yeah, there, there would have been absolutely no chance if I didn't meet him. Would you have ever believed in college uh, that you would have started a glove company? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, probably not. I just, you know, it's it's been an interesting process because there are the stalwart golf gloves there's one company you know Tylus footjoy that dominates the mm -hmm. the market and but what i've learned is that people are not super brand loyal if they like a story if they like a mission and they try the product and they like it so um you know we've only been in business for i'd say next month will be two years since our beta testing phase and in serious business for a year and a half. And I think that anyone who tries the product really, really likes it. Um, now, it's not super difficult to come up with a good golf glove because honestly, they're made in generally the same place as the big companies, like the same factories. So it's all about what you feel is important in the glove and then you get your story out. And if you have the right marketing, and if you provide great service, which I think we really, really do, and people appreciate that. Yeah. Every time um, I get a glove, there's a I'm getting just absolutely berated from you on in a message <laughs> handwritten. So if that's what you're into, just uh go buy a glove. <laughs> it it it's funny because um you're one of your first podcast guests, Ryan, you know, yeah. the Monday Q info uh fame he's one of our, we call them the RRRs, the, uh, rep and red roosters. And, and he enjoys wearing the gloves and I, I rip him in those notes. Yeah. And he, he's posted a few on Twitter and people take it the wrong way. Of course, or a few people do They're yeah. like, wow, that's terrible service. I'm like, dude, it's for fun. Like he, he loves the monthly, you know, rip him a new a-hole. Like he loves that stuff. <laughs> so, um, you know, most guys, I'm writing nice things like, Hey, go make some birdies with this. Let us know how it goes. You know, uh, I haven't, I haven't got one of those yet either, nah. but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I know you've told the story many times, but I, I think what the story is, what makes it great is that for every glove you buy, you're giving a glove to somebody else who can't buy a glove. Yeah. And, and who needs a good introduction to the game, who, who wants to come away from their, first interaction with the game in, in a positive manner. It doesn't always happen that way, right? Um, golf sometimes can be exclusionary. It can be seen as stuffy. Uh, it can be seen as an elitist or a rich man sport or whatever it may be. So we try to target, um, you know, public places, municipal, um, especially first tee facilities, you know, kids who who are being introduced to the game, not, not because they're going to become professional golfers, but because they need something in their life to kind of 
give them something extra because when they go home, it might not be the best situation. Or if they come, you know, home from school, they don't have anyone there and they have these programs after school where it's, you know, we need an adult to be there to supervise for an hour and a half until mom or dad can come get them. Like whatever it may be, it's not that they're in love with the game right away, but if they get something that they can bring home with them from this, you know, sometimes it's a babysitting session for these instructors. Mm -hmm. Like who cares? Like, because they're going to be safe there. And if they go somewhere else after school, it might not be super safe, but if they can bring something home with them and be proud of it and say, Hey, I got this. I get to take it to the next, next session. Maybe they do become a golfer. Maybe one out of 10 of them does go on to love the game. And what we've seen is that the game needs to, it needs to grow. And we've heard all the platitudes of grow the game, but I think it's always targeted at the same people who are already playing the game. Yeah. And so, and so this is our small way of, of giving back to a game that's given both Carrie and I, my business partner, like it's given us a lot. And it's just our way of kind of like, Hey, let's, let's play it for, let's pay it forward. Our campaign is called play it forward, but um, let's pay it forward and, and, you know, give a kid something that they can go home with. Um, I've told the story a few times, but the first time that I went to a a session at the first tee of the triangle, which is in Raleigh, uh, they, they gave out the gloves for, I don't know if it was the first time they ever gave them out, but they're giving out the kit, the gloves to the kids. And they had their half hour, 45 minute session. They all at different stations, chipping, putting, driving range. And at the end, they all come under this tent with picnic tables and they're giving back their clubs because all the kids at these sessions use, you know, these donated clubs and they put them away at the end. And, you know, the next time they bring them out again and distribute them to the kids. And this one kid tried to give back the golf club <laughs> and the instructor's like, no, no, that's yours. Go ahead and take it. And I saw the kid walking back to the car with, I think it was his grandfather and he was showing him the glove yeah. and he was so happy. And it was like, that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And, and for that to happen in our first, you know, six or eight months of, of business. And I got to see that and it's like, Hmm, this is, that's cool. That's what it's, that's what it's all about. That's what we want to do is just kind of make a kid's day. It's not going to make every kid's day. Some nope. kids probably don't even care, but some of them do. And that was kind of the goal from the get go. Do you think it's kept you in a game that you easily could have kind of gone away into the sunset? you know, at the end of your career there, like on the corn Ferry tour, like, I don't know if you always, if this is always going to stay into the game or, or not, but like forced you to stay into the game and, and still realize why you, why you started playing in the first place and the love of that game. Yeah. When I first started playing, it was the, it was kind of the summer, the summer hobby, like hey, hockey was to, done. Yeah. Hockey was exactly hockey was done. Uh, go to the golf course in the morning, ride my bike there and come back at night. Like my parents knew where I was generally, which doesn't happen a lot <laughs> these days. Right. Like we know where our kids are at all times. It's like, yeah, yeah. he's at the golf course. What, yeah. what he's I was, doing there. I was skateboarding behind a school somewhere. At right. Day, yeah. Like, uh, he's at the golf course. I'm sure he'll be fine. You know, he's running up the French fry tab at the bar, unfortunately, <laughs> but, um, that, that's how it started for me. And, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would, I would still be playing golf. Like I'm not going to quit playing golf. I enjoy going out on 
you know, Fridays and Saturdays with the guys here and someone puts together a game and, you know, it's a $20 for every guy in the group. And hopefully we get six groups. And at the mm-hmm. end of the day, you win, you know, the winning group gets a hundred bucks or 120 bucks each. So uh, that part won't ever go away. Um, it's, it, I do separate the competitive side from just the having fun side and the competitive side is hard to maintain because it takes a lot of work. It takes Mm -hmm. being invested in it, not necessarily every day, but you know, one of the things I, I learned this past year, I I did, I went to the corn Ferry tour Q school and I felt prepared and I had worked with my coach, let's say twice a week for two and a half or three months. And I felt prepared, but once you get on the first tee, you just kind of realize like, yeah, this guy's been preparing for the whole year. He's played, yeah. you know, he's played 20 events already, whether it's on corn Ferry tour, Canadian tour, mini tours, whatever. Like he's been Monday qualifying. He's been doing everything he can. I've been packing gloves <laughs> and, and writing notes. And writing notes of people. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and in my spare time, I went to see Patrick for an hour. Yeah. You know, on Thursdays and Fridays, like, yeah, it's not, it's not the same. So, uh, it's, it's a, it's a process for me to kind of separate being competitive with the best players versus just having fun with my buddies. And I, I'll be able to have fun. No problem. Uh, the question is whether I'll be able to tolerate being an okay player, like to my standards, of how mm-hmm. I used to be uh, versus being, you know, what I would call like, Hey, I'm a, you know, tour player caliber. A, so a tour, I, I, a tour winner, like, the, 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 yeah. Like you, right, you won right. on tour, not the right. PGA tour, but you won on the next one down. Right. It's right. Pretty damn so that, good. That's, um, that's going to be a transition. And yeah. I, I kind of felt it this past fall, went to second stage and, you know, I had a, a decent first round, and the second round just ended poorly. And then the third day was kind of one of those days where in the past I would have been able to salvage, you know, even par one under whatever. And the game's just not there right now. So it became a quickly like a 77 or 78. It's like everything went wrong. And in the past I would have, I would have been able to write the ship and it's just, the game's not there right now. Like it's not at that, at that level, like the guy who I played with in the first two rounds. Now, granted, I beat him for two days, uh, but he had just finished 84th or 5th on the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, so he's been working all year, right? And he's had, you know, 50 pressure rounds. Those were my first two pressure rounds of the <laughs> year, right? That's just a, a competitive imbalance that um, it, it certainly does not help. It really doesn't. I, you kind of hinted senior tour potentially. I mean, that's five years away. Um, is that the last run of going to uh, Q school or say this time, like in the summer, is that where you kind of reassess of, cause now you can go to Q school, you get a PGA tour, right? It's back yeah. to the old ways, right? Like, does that now give that additional almost, eh, maybe, maybe I start hitting balls in, uh, in May instead of uh, in August. <laughs> It's funny, my my cousin who played on the Corn Ferry Tour for a couple of years at the same time I did back in, I want to say, maybe 08, 09, something like that. He texted me the other day and he said, 
he's looking at these $20 million purses and he's just laughing. And he's like, how can I not go to Q school just to, to have a chance at that top five? Like, how, how can you not go? And I said, you know, you're, you're right. Like it's, if you, if you got the money, if it doesn't make you uncomfortable financially, it's like, why wouldn't you go? Because yeah. the reward is so great. It's almost, you know, it's like that lottery ticket. If it doesn't bother you buying a couple lottery tickets every, every week, why not? Because the reward is, is, is so great. And you're already, you know, it's better, better odds in the lottery. Cause you know, I go to second stage myself. So, um, you know, I'm jumping pre-qualifying and yeah. first stage. So I have one stage to get through before I have that opportunity. To you got two numbers on the lottery ticket. basically. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I get four, let's say I got four tickets where um, someone else just has two. Yeah. I don't know how to make the analogy, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's your question about the champions tour. I, I wish I had a, a printout I could just hand someone when they ask the question. Yeah. You know, I, I used to say that about when I was back at Rideau view, um, when I would spend a lot of time there, I get the question, Hey, what's next? Like on your schedule, I wish I had like a little <laughs> postcard that showed yeah. my schedule. Like this is what I'm doing. Cause I felt like I was answering that question all the time. That's the question I get a lot of the time is, Oh, you should go to the champion store. I'm like, yeah, that's five years away. Exactly. It's you know, a long ways know, away. Yeah. Based on my commitment to uh, competitive golf right now, uh, I'd say, yeah, probably not, but it's so hard to say, you know, what the next five years will bring. Maybe Red Rooster will blow up to the point where I don't have to work anymore for it. You know, <laughs> maybe we'll have employees and I get to dictate what they do and I can play golf every day. Um, but it's, uh, Maybe six months from now, you're at a Monday for a corn fair event because that's what you wanted yeah, to do. Exactly. Like maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah, I maybe I get in a corn fairy event or I get a sponsor exemption into the Raleigh event and I make some money. All of a sudden, I get in the next event and then the one after that. Like who, who knows, right? I yeah. can't, I, I just say that's not my, it's not my goal right now. Um, and, and I've, you can't imagine a person more at peace with something than that. Number one, because I haven't played full-time since gosh, what 2000, 2019, you know, 2021 and or 2020 and 2021 were so weird. Yeah. Uh, COVID years, right. Nobody played full-time or didn't seem like it, but um, I haven't played a full schedule since 2019. So again, I have the, the benefit of time between then and now, uh, but yeah, I'm not, I definitely don't have any regrets or think I don't wake up in the morning saying, man, I wish I was back out there again. Um, no, I'm sure. Uh, like Ryan said, um, on the podcast on our first episode, like you realize every time you travel, like life continues without you when you're not at home and, and the family runs without you when you're not at home. And, uh, it sounds like you're enjoying being being part of what's running and being part of the hockey. And that's more important. And I don't think the golf career needs to be linear um, as people try to make it, make it seem. Definitely. What you just said is correct. Um, I'll just say, I can't imagine my wife home alone with a teenage daughter. That would not, <laughs> that would not go well. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but at the same time, I could definitely see five years from now 
you know, my son would be what 14. So we couldn't leave all the time, but I could definitely see like, Oh my God, I got my champions tour card, bring my son out. My daughter will be in college by then bring my son out on the road. You know, you see all these guys have their sons caddy for them, how great it is. Um, I could see that. And my wife would kind of had a, a second crack at coming out for an event at a time. She didn't really have a, a ton of opportunity to do that because we we had or mm-hmm. had kids like kind of right when I was uh, getting on tour. So that would be that would be interesting. It'd be like, no, I can't discount it. It's not something I'm working towards today. But there is that motivation of seeing guys who have played with for 10 to 15 years, the Scott Perel, Steve Alker stories, you know, Steve was just a player of the year and I've played with him for 10 years on, on the corn Ferry tour. It seems like, and he's an excellent player, but it just shows you how a guy who was, he kept playing through his late forties and mm-hmm. I'm not doing, I'm not doing that, but he kept playing and so did Scott. And when they hit the champions tour, they hit it running and I kind of had the feeling both of them were going to do really well because they were, you know, they, they didn't, didn't really like Scott didn't play the PGA tour at all. Steve played a couple years, but it's, I will never discount the talent on the champions tour, but they're just guys who they continue to hit it as far as they've ever hit it. And on the champions tour length, if you have the length, it makes a massive difference. So Steve can hit it 300 yards. So can Scott. And I, I think the benefit of that's the, that's the most, I'll call it the the most opportunity they've ever had. And they're still Mm -hmm. playing at, at their best. You know, they've probably never played better and they're playing shorter courses and they're still hitting it as far. So it's like the competition has gotten lower a little bit because they're not playing with the best players in the world. They're playing with the best 50 years and older, Uh, but they're playing their best ever. You know, Mark Kalkovecki isn't playing his best golf ever. Mark O'Meara isn't. Bernard Longer might be. (laughs) That's very possible. We could debate that, but uh, yeah. But yeah, I could could definitely see – getting out there but again it's super competitive it's, like it's not getting less competitive no, it's the hardest tour to get on i think we've talked about that but i yeah. guess in five years from now uh we'll have to do another podcast golf friends let's call you up and and see Hell yeah we'll, we'll check in at that point um where can uh people buy red rooster uh gloves and where can people find you brad so they can check out all of our social channels which are i think at red rooster golf on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And then our site is www.redroostergolf.com. You can just Google Red Rooster Golf Gloves. Um, they're really good. You know, they're not going to save your life, but they're they're really good gloves. There's a good story behind them. Uh, they're competitively p- priced. And as we talked about, there's a really good mission behind it. So, um, you know, try one out. They last a long time, probably longer than they need to last because we're trying to sell a lot of golf clubs. And then those are some of the things that uh, some of our customers have said, like, Hey, you might want to look into how long they last because I've been using this for three months and it's not, you know, showing anywhere. It's like, we'd really love to send or uh, sell you another one, <laughs> but yeah. you don't need it, but you don't need it yet. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they're really nice gloves and we've had a blast so far doing it in our what 18 months of 
being yeah. in business. Well, I can't wait for the next note, Brad. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, being a golf friend. Always uh, enjoy our chats. Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. And if you threw a party and invited everyone you knew, you would see the biggest gift would be for me. And the card attached would say, thank you for being a friend.